Well, it's nice to be back. It's always wonderful when you uh, spend a bit of time driving uh, to head back uh, as you head north into Alice Springs and see the range. And you see that it's far greener than you remember it being. And you just remember what a beautiful place Alice Springs is. Uh, so it is wonderful uh, to be back. And it's great even this morning. Already we've had the two passages that I'm going to be sharing from today in our kids' talk and with our uh, language readings as well. Uh, so really looking forward to uh, uh, looking at this spiritual discipline of fellowship uh, today. Now, I find it's fascinating the places that you find a sense of togetherness in. Sometimes it can appear in the most surprising circumstances. Um, just this last uh, couple of weeks, we've been traveling on the road. And of course, for those of you who have driven the road from Alice down south, you know that is a long, long stretch of road. Uh, occasionally, you will come across another car, maybe a road train, but usually that is about it. And often it is a handful of times, particularly between here and, say, Port Augusta, that you're going to encounter other cars. But something that is just like almost common language as you travel that particular stretch is, of course, what we kind of know as the courtesy wave. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? You're driving down and you see another car approaching, okay, and then you know it's time. It's time for an encounter. I'm not going to know this person, but we are going to connect on a special kind of level. But it's kind of, it's also approaching. There's a time that, that you're going to see each other, a momentary opportunity to connect in a kind of togetherness kind of way. And you've got your hand on the steering wheel if you're driving, and you're like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go with the single finger? Just a little acknowledgement kind of guy thing. It's like, is that, is that what we got? Because, I mean, what, but what if they do the double? If they go the double over the single, what, what's that going to communicate to them? You know, like you start to kind of think through these possibilities. Occasionally, you know, if you've got another hand, you'll just do a, you know, you get the really enthusiastic, like, oh, gee, they haven't seen someone in a really long time. You know, like, like they're kind of this. Have you ever seen the Superman? The Superman, it's, it's a driver that has two hands on the, on the steering wheel like this. And they just do a bit of, like this, I call it the Superman. As we were driving back, I uh, know it looks controversial, it's not when you're Supermaning, but there's, as we were driving back, I started to do some experiments. I thought, okay, I'll go for the two fingers, I'll see if people respond in kind. There is just no logic to this. All it is is people choose what they're going to do beforehand, and then they go ahead and do it. But have you had that moment when either you're kind of, you're distracted, you're thinking about other things, you, the time gets away from you, suddenly they've indicated and then they're gone, and you've missed that chance? there's almost this heartbreak moment where you know for the next like 100 kilometers they're going to be thinking about that moment and how you rejected them. Like it's, it's just like I find it heartbreaking or I go for it and they just drive by and they don't respond. And I'm like, what is it about this moment that is like so heartbreaking? Like why is it so significant? Well, I think it's because it ties into this sense of kind of togetherness. In that moment, you're like, yeah, here we are on the road, driving distance together. And we're alone, we're isolated, and then we get this moment of connection, human to human. And when we miss it, it hurts. And it should hurt. Because we were made for a sense of togetherness. And of course, that's what we're going to talk about today as we talk about the spiritual discipline of fellowship. Now, last week, Ian spoke about silence and solitude. And the introverts were like, yes, sign me up. And the extroverts were like, no, right? This time we provide a bit of contrast, okay? With the introverts, you're going to feel a little bit more uncomfortable and the extroverts are going to be like, preach it, brother, all right? Because we are talking about the importance of connection. So let's talk a little bit about this word fellowship. Now, the Oxford de definition is really weak. I just want to tell you, this is a really weak definition. This is what the Oxford Dictionary defines fellowship as. 
friendly association, especially with people who share one's interests. Well, isn't that nice? Isn't that very vanilla? Friendly association, especially with people who share one's interests. Oh, you like vacuums? I like vacuums too. Let's have fellowship. It just doesn't quite hit the mark, especially when you've been part of a church or a spiritual family for some amount of time. The idea that you can just connect on the most benign of things just doesn't feel like true fellowship. There's got to be something more to what is going on. And especially when we talk about this as a spiritual discipline, because anyone can hang out. People who don't go to church, they hang out. They hang out at footy and they hang out at sporting events or maybe they hang out at work, right? Connecting with other people isn't anything new and you don't have to be a Christian in order to do it. And yet at the same time, it becomes a spiritual discipline, right? When suddenly we realize that by connecting with each other in a consistent and deliberate manner, God does something, right? This is the thing. When we choose to engage in a particular discipline for a purpose, and that includes choosing to hang out sometimes in a place of somewhat discomfort, which we'll talk about later, God actually does something in us and in those around us. And unlike other spiritual disciplines that we're going to explore over the course of this year, most spiritual disciplines you can choose to do alone. You cannot do the spiritual discipline of fellowship alone. It does not work you and someone else who is also a you are needed in order for that to occur. Because at the heart of fellowship isn't just about what we can get from hanging out with others. It's actually about the decision to invest in others. And that actually challenges us a bit when it comes to what it means to be church. So let's turn to Acts chapter 2 to start off with and let's talk about some of these examples of what fellowship can look like. And we just heard this passage, but let's just read it one more time. Acts chapter 2. They devoted, that is, the, the fellowship of believers, the way, those who were choosing to follow Jesus, the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so here in Acts chapter 2, we have this beautiful uh, picture of the early church. Now, at this particular point, it was almost exclusively Jewish, we need to understand. It gets a little bit more complex as more people are included. That's why we have all these letters in the New Testament seeking to deal with that. But at the same time, we have these words here, verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, we can read that, and that doesn't mean that everyone was same, same, right? Because we can interpret that word common and be like, oh, well, everything had everything in common. Oh, no, you, you, like, you like burritos? I like burritos. Oh, well, we've got that in common. Everyone had everything in common. But actually, they didn't have everything in common in that regard. People would have had their own interests and their own vocations and their own personalities. But the thing that they had in common was that they had everything shared. And we see that in this particular example selling property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They would open themselves up as a community to include people who were different. You see, the fellowship that we read here in Acts chapter 2 
is a very different kind of fellowship than we read in the Oxford Dictionary, right? Like what we're seeing here in terms of the sacrifice, the regularly meeting together, daily breaking bread in homes, right? This is much more than just gathering around a common interest. And this is where it challenges us a bit, okay? Now, now it's not our job just to recreate the early church. People have tried to do that in the Historically in the past, it just doesn't work that way, right? This was a particular time and place and context, and you can't just recreate something that was 2,000 years ago and replant it in our modern context. We try to take the truths, and of course we do, try to take the truths and apply them, but you can't just simply recreate what was. But nowadays, right, sometimes we can have this posture, and thankfully I don't feel like it occurs too much here in Alice Springs, but certainly in other places I, I got this sense, that if you didn't like a church you would just find another one, right? This is a pretty, pretty common. It's just like, because like if you live in metropolitan Melbourne, you pretty much got a church every two kilometers, right? And so you go and if it doesn't suit you, if you don't have enough in common with the people, then you just, that's right, I can just go to the next one across. And there's this kind of mentality of, I've just got to find my fit. Well, in the New Testament church, you didn't have that luxury. <laughs> you got to be in the church of Philippi, you know, the one. You got to be in the church, right? And yes, there would have been these little clusters and families that would have gathered over time, but you didn't get to choose your church like it was some sort of consumable that you just went to go to find the right fit. And like I said, I hope that doesn't occur too much here in Alice, and I haven't seen that so much, but it's something we need to be wary of. Rather than this choice for my benefit, what we see in the early church is this subversive inclusion that they have. They're choosing to include everyone. Admittedly, at this particular time, it was the Jewish people. That was their kind of one little line there. They were God-fearing Gentiles. But at the same time, it didn't matter what their kind of socioeconomic status was, whether they had a little or a lot. They were willing to give and sell property so that people could be included. They were mimicking, mimicking the ministry of Jesus in his radical inclusion of people who are on the margins and saying, you are welcome into this community. This is what we see in the fellowship of the early church. They were united around what mattered most, teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There was this space that they created for vulnerability, which in the later chapters there's going to be a whole lot of persecution thrown on the church. And when persecution was thrown on this early church, they didn't just kind of go, okay, now we've got to shrink back. Instead, that actually cultivated boldness in them. They became this safe place for, to, to be an expression of the Christian faith. So there was this safety. And of course, what we see here also is this radical generosity for the needy. Unity around what matters most, vulnerability, and generosity for the needy. And I, and I get, I just want to say, like, I'm really proud of ASBC. I love being a part of this church. Been here almost seven years. Um, we don't always get it right, but I'm really proud of this church in the way that we go about doing this. But this doesn't happen by accident, these things. This is about the discipline or the discipline or the spiritual discipline of fellowship that takes place. This choice to be other orientated rather than self orientated. I think about even in our church how fellowship is cultivated by volunteers who give of their time and their energy because they are other orientated. They want it to be a safe and inclusive place for people. People host home groups because they want to create safe places for vulnerability, right? Or for inclusion. And you guys are doing this, but it doesn't happen by accident. 
it is actually a discipline to pursue fellowship because it comes at a cost. But then you do it and God does stuff. And you see people welcomed in. And you see people encounter God. We see people healed because of the sacrifice and the other orientatedness of others. You see, you, by embracing the spiritual discipline of fellowship and treating it as a spiritual discipline, you offer an inclusion that others need. It's like, I need to be included. I need to be accepted. I need to be welcomed. And this is what fellowship does. I think it's fascinating that out of all the times in history and out of all the possible teaching modes that God could have chosen or made, him known, known, uh, made himself known in history, that Jesus chose this kind of rabbinic model. He chose this rabbinic mo- model where he got this collective group of disciples who would have otherwise probably not hung out that much outside of maybe some brothers and cousins. You wouldn't get your tax collector and your zealot hanging out together, Right? But God chose to to make himself known within this particular model because I think what it does is it promotes this subversive inclusion that God wants us to express in and through our fellowship. So inclusion is one aspect of fellowship, but there is another. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 10, as we read earlier. I've got a couple of translations here. Verse 24 from chapter 10, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up in meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The NLT, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And again, this is one of those classic passages to remind people, come back to church. Okay, so there's this, like, there's actually not too many passages in the Bible that talk about it, right? Because the idea of meeting together was kind of an evolving understanding to a certain extent. Not in terms of family and the connections, that's been a long part of Jewish history, right? But certainly what we see as church today was kind of an evolving understanding. Now, there are some really great reasons why this passage is used as a reminder to continue to meet together. I particularly want to pick up how we can form a habit, right, a habit of absence. Like we can form a habit of absence. I love this word. It's like as some are in the habit of doing. You know, sometimes we hear that phrase and we're like, oh, yes, you ones who have developed a bad habit, right? But what happens is we kind of miss that connection and that consistency and it just becomes a habit of absence. And I've chatted to people from this church and other churches as well who are like, even post-COVID, which is so long ago now, they're like, I never got back into the rhythm of engaging in fellowship. And you could say, well, that's a lack of habit of attendance, but actually it's a habit of absence (laughs) because you fill that time with something else. So we need to address our habits. We need to be aware of those things that we are filling our time with. And as Ian shared last week, spiritual disciplines require a level of consistency in order to produce fruit, right? And especially when it comes to fellowship. I can't expect that if I attend church or engage in home group like every two months that I'm going to achieve or get a sense of connection that I would otherwise have if I was attending regularly. Likewise, I need to actually be aware that my contribution to that space my investment in that space is going to be limited as well because I simply don't have the relationship that I would otherwise have. 
and maybe this comes from years and years of doing youth ministry, but, but we know in youth ministry the key is to keep showing up, right? Keep showing up. Some events are going to be wild, some are going to be boring, and some are just going to be whatever. But as long as you keep showing up, right, in the lives of young people, and it's the same in church, right, that's where relational currency and connection is made. And so this is like deep part of how I'm wired and I know how critical it is as a church to develop those habits of attending or, or, or participating in fellowship regularly. But the truth is that engaging with others can be an exhausting experience. And so a shout out to my fellow introverts. Most people think I'm an extrovert. I'm not. I'm actually an introvert. Um, but there's a sense of like, you know, it can actually be really exhausting to actually engage with others. You enter a space with lots of people and you're like, here we go, right? Here we go. And if you're an extrovert, you don't understand that dynamic. If you're an introvert, you do. You're like, okay, I'm entering into the battle. And these might be the nicest people ever. It's not about whether or not they're nice people or not. It's just hard work. And that can be the same with church sometimes too. And so we find ways to connect with those smaller groups of people so that we can actually maintain our energy because we each have a role to play for the encouragement and the mutual growth of each other. Note that words one another, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. There's this fascinating piece in this passage that we don't often pick up in the Greek. This word here, um, not giving up meeting together is something in the habit of doing, already done that one. They spur one another on or motivate one another. The really fascinating ways that this has been interpreted, when you look at the original Greek language, it's a really fascinating word. It's a word that only appears twice in the New Testament. It's this word here, paroxumos. And it means to irritate, to provoke, stir up, sharp contention, incitement. This is what is in there. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Isn't it funny that the word that's used there is this word for irritate. Irritate people toward love and good deeds. The only other use of this word in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 15, 39, when Paul and Barnabas have such an argument that they can no longer serve as missionaries together. So if you want to understand like the kind of the, the irritation in this particular word, what, what's going on here in terms of the imagery, this was the same word that was used to break up one of the greatest missionary kind of fellowships of all time. Now, I'm not saying that's our example, but I'm saying that word is used, I think, quite deliberately when it comes to our understanding of how we engage with each other. Now, please do not go and be like, cool, I'm going to come to church to irritate people. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm getting at, right? But the author is using this word in order to understand that our differences, the way that we are wired, ought to provoke us, irritate us toward greater love and good deeds. There is this kind of irritation that you offer, each of you offers, in the spiritual discipline of fellowship that will spur others on toward love and good works. When I think about this, I think about my old mate, Scott Morrison. Now, he wasn't the um, Prime Minister. This is Scott Morrison uh, back from my time at Crossway, and he will love the fact that I'm using him as an illustration here. So this is Scott. As you can see, we were doing some first aid training, and he was deeply distressed at the state of the baby's condition. Now, Scott was a, just an amazing uh, fellow worker. He served with me within the youth department. We served alongside each other for five years, and Scott was so different to me. 
I was the one who was kind of like, you know, the peacemaker, kind of keeping things steady. He was the one who would light fires under things. He was the one who would constantly be attacking and provoking in the best possible way for the most part. He would challenge the status quo and he would push the boundaries where that was needed. And he was passionate about prayer and about mission. And in fact, he was passionate in all these particular ways that perhaps at the time I really wasn't. And so he would push me and he'd be like, so Gavin, how's your prayer going? Why aren't you praying for hours each day? Because that's just what he would do, right? He wouldn't like hold back. He would go nuts. And I remember in that moment being like this combination of deep discomfort, right? But also behind that was this stirring up of going, I needed to hear this, right? And I, I hope you have had those moments where people have, they've, whether they've done it well or not, we want to try and do it well, but they've stirred you up because they've irritated you in some way, right? But it's actually prompted within you a deep conviction of, I need to give some attention to this. This is what that irritation, that spur one another on does to us. See, it was good for me. God used Scott for me and hopefully, I hope, I was used for his benefit too. But this is what it means to engage in fellowship. And so therefore, particularly for those of us who may be a bit more introverted, it just seems so much more intimidating to come to church because we want to be this place that has this radical, subversive inclusion but also just provide a little bit of irritation. A little bit of irritation to make sure we don't get too comfortable, right? Because that is what fellowship is. Because embracing the spiritual discipline of fellowship, it might just be that you are the irritation that others need. Now, some of you have sly smiles and you're like, finally, I am justified. No, 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 no. Be careful. All in love. What was that, a fist pump? Was that a fist pump, John? You know, this is, it's all done in love, right? But we're supposed to be different. And it's always supposed to stir us up toward love and good deeds. If it's stirring us toward destruction and disunity, we've got other problems, right? But fellowship combines this radical inclusion with this radical irritation. And that's what makes church, church, right? It's just a beautiful, so subversive thing within our society. I, um, I heard one speaker talk about the Tower of Babel. And... Um, and I remember this one particular teacher proposed that creating difference, if you don't know the story of Babel, it's where God confused the languages and people scattered. But I had one particular teacher teach me and propose that creating this difference in language was actually a grace of God. You know, we often talk about it's like, oh, God, like punishing people for their bad behavior or God getting, you know, intimidated and so he needed to separate the humans. But this teacher talked about this creating a difference as a grace of God. Because overcoming difference, forgiveness, a posture of teachability is something that each of us actually needs to learn to experience full humanity, right? It's like if you want to experience what it means to be human, you need to actually learn to overcome difference. You need to learn to forgive. You need to learn to be teachable. And that is only possible when there is difference. I just think it's a fascinating take. Maybe there is a grace or at the very least, a redemptive edge to that story. So spiritual discipline of fellowship. You, each of you, offer the inclusion and are the irritation. 
that others need and that God will use. But you need to show up, and that's what makes it a discipline, right? We need, and this isn't just about getting more people in church on a Sunday, but church is something that's great, right? It's great to be able to meet together, okay? But this is actually an opportunity to not only be invested in, but also for you to extend an investment into others. And it comes at a cost. It comes by being other-orientated, and yet it is a beautiful thing that God wants us to be. So how do we go about doing that? Maybe we need to repent. Repent means to think differently. But we get caught in these kind of patterns of thinking. Repent means think differently. Maybe instead of as we kind of step into church or, or small group or whatever it might be, we might have to think, to whom will I offer fellowship this morning? Like, to whom will I be offering fellowship to? It's not just coming in and being like, what am I going to get from this? But who am I going to bless? Who am I going to be inclusive? Who am I going to appropriately irritate today toward love and good deeds? And just having that repentance and that shift in thinking can change everything. It might be that you just need to commit to a group. Here at ASBC, we have a groups model. We're a big enough church that we need groups. <laughs> we need groups in order to function, to provide care and fellowship with each other. We have home groups that meet together for Bible study and prayer. We have ministry groups like Epic Youth or Kids Church Ministries or Production and Creative Ministries, Bus Team. We've got all these various groups and we've also got some interest groups as well. Over time, these have shifted and changed with people, but we've had board game groups and photography groups. The point isn't exactly in these particular moments what you're gathering around, even though that is important in terms of what the purpose of the group is. The commitment to the group is I am committing to engaging with others so that I can be including and so that I can be irritating appropriately in that way. Because in doing so, I bless others. I'm not just receiving a blessing for myself. And so maybe you just need to commit to a group. And I know here in Alice we have fly in, fly out. We know people's rhythms change. Believe me, everyone gets it, okay? Everyone gets the movement, right? So we can't use movement as an excuse. We just got to go, we just know that's part of life. Maybe it's going to be harder to rock up on a regular basis. But commit to the group and come when you can and receive the blessing from that. It's awesome. Or maybe it's this. Just choosing to stay just that little bit longer after the service. <laughs> choosing to stick around for a cuppa. Choosing to have a conversation. As you walk in, identifying someone else in the congregation and saying, I'm going to have a conversation with that person today before I leave. I know sometimes people have places to go, but maybe it's just choosing. Stay an extra 10 minutes. Have a conversation with someone. See if there's that little bit of inclusion and irritation that you can offer them. It comes at a cost, as all disciplines do. Disciplines become habits, habits become lifestyle. We work our way toward it. But this is something that God created us to experience together. Jesus modelled it, the early church modelled it, and while we can't exactly recreate, nor should we, those things of the past, the truth of what it means to each one of us should resonate within a place like ASBC. So with that in mind, let me pray as you consider your next step. Jesus, we, um, 
We want to thank you, God, for the grace that is fellowship, for the invitation that is fellowship. Um, there's going to be times, Lord, when we want to shy away and we don't want to be vulnerable and we don't want to give. Um, but, God, in those moments, it's often the gift of somebody else that provides healing that you use to welcome us in and to provide comfort. And, um, and God, you use that person for us. And so we want to be that person for others. So Jesus, I want to pray, God, that you would do a work in our heart that we would pursue togetherness, that there would be a consistency in how we engage with others, that we would form deep relationships so we can truly love and truly be generous and respond to the needs around us. God, we want to be that kind of church. And we know that's going to make us a little uncomfortable. But God, we know that church was never comfortable, certainly not in the New Testament. And so we want, we want to take up that challenge. So give us the courage to stick around a little longer. Give us the courage to engage in some sort of group on a regular basis or to host a group become that inclusive community or maybe just to think differently and regularly ask the question what am i giving here in my fellowship to bless others help us to know what step to take and to do it faithfully in jesus name